Good morning. If you will, take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to today's scripture. We're going to be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We can get one for you real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll read verses 14 through 16. Second Corinthians two. We'll start starting at verse fourteen. Let's begin. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? At this time... Be great. Be great. Be what God made you to be. God made you for a purpose. He made you for fellowship with Him because He loves you. But He made you for a purpose beyond that. He made you to live on this earth, experience being a full human being, body, soul, and spirit. God-conscious... Self-conscious, world-conscious. You have a purpose in this world. And that's part of being a great Christian. And the Bible tells us that we're not talking about a greatness like the world talks about. We're talking about being great like God wants us to be and made us to be. So we're in this series now, Be Great. If you look in your Gateway Guide to the Life Notes page... You'll see where we've come so far in this series we're in about being greater. And we have named some of the relational characteristics of a believer related to God. For example, look with me, if you will, please, in your gateway guide. And the first thing that God made us to be is a what? A child in God's family. See that? How about reading that little list of what God made us to be so far? This is where we've come up to this date. Let's begin with the words a child and read all of that. A child in God's family, a soldier in God's army, a lover in a loving less and less culture, an ambassador for Christ in your world, an overcomer in defeating evil. And today we're going to see how God made you and me to be a triumphant believer no matter what. God wants you to have a triumphant spirit in Christ. He wants you to wake up every morning knowing that God made you, He loves you, He's working in you to be a triumphant person, to be able to win in your life victories you need to win. One person said, when I wake up in the morning, now that I've turned 60, the person said, I wake up every morning to the sound of snap, crackle, and pop. Not cereal, but my bones snapping, crackling, and popping just to get out of the bed. Now that can happen to us, that's for sure. But in the same spirit, it can happen that people have snap, crackle, and pop in their spirit. Because life is not easy. Life is tough. Life has important decisions to make, commitments to make. And it's not always easy to be triumphant 
in the face of all of these things. God wants you to have a triumphant spirit, to be a triumphant believer. He wants you to go beyond appearances. Clothes, you wear them, and those clothes make you look like what you look like to other people. Your words are what you sound like to other people. Your reputation is what you seem to be to other people. Your emotions are what you feel like toward other people. But what your spirit is, is what you really are. In your spirit, in the inner man, is the person you really and truly are. And that's where God does His greatest work within your heart, within your soul, within your mind, and within your spirit. He's the one who makes it possible for you to have a triumphant spirit. And a triumphant spirit is absolutely necessary. I went on a shopping spree the other day to the dollar store. And uh, it's amazing how much a dollar can buy. When I came to the uh, cashier... There's a long line there, and I think she was the only one in the store. And on that particular day, the dollar store had had a run because there was stuff in the aisles. Everything on the shelves were messed up. I saw nobody around doing anything. This poor cashier was there, and everybody else was, had noticed it too. And so a man said to her, when are you going to complain about all this? And she says, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to do my job. Now, when she said this, she kind of got my attention. So he kept talking to her, well, you should be doing complaining. And she said, well, yeah, I'll do some complaining, but I'm going to be complaining to him, and he's going to help me work my job here and work with other people as well. And then she said something. She said, I'm going to talk to him because there's nothing he can't do, and there's nothing he can't undo. And so the guy, when she said that, he kind of took notice. Then he started talking like this. Well, God bless you. I was saying the same thing. God bless you, lady. I mean, I've never heard a spirit like that before in the middle of all of this. Now, that may be a small thing in one way, but work, 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 and being overwhelmed, you've got to have an attitude. You've got to have an attitude to overcome. And that attitude is believe and trust God. The other day I was driving, I pulled up behind a truck at a red light, it was for DPR construction, and the letters underneath the name said, we exist to build great things. I thought that was a pretty good logo. And I was thinking, well, that's what Gateway Church is, except change one word. We exist to build great people. That's what God does. What is the product of a church? What is the product of a church? Great Christian people. And if the church is not producing the product for which God ordained it, it should go out of business. To produce great Christian people who have a victorious spirit, a triumphant spirit in the world today. That's what it's all about. And so... The Apostle Paul, in uh, writing 2 Corinthians, was talking to us believers 
about being a triumphant believer. It's a very interesting passage. I don't know if you've read this passage before or really delved into it or dug into it, but let's look at it once again. It's very interesting. It's unusual. It bears some uh, close scrutiny led by the Holy Spirit to understand what this means. But thanks be to God who always leads us in what? Triumphal procession. What's a procession? It's a group of people walking in a particular direction all together as one. That's a procession. Triumphal procession in Christ. And through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death. To the other the fragrance of life, says the Bible. Don't you think this is quite an unusual text? Kind of different speech, different kind of words. I wonder if you've ever gotten yourself into this passage and put yourself in this place to see how God is working in this. Now, I need to do an important explanation here. And I'm going to give you the two important words of today's message on your life notes about being greater. And the first one is triumphant. And the second one is triumphal. Triumphant and triumphal. So let's put those on the page and then let's talk about the difference. The point of my message today, the purpose of it, is to encourage you to be a triumphant spirit. To be a triumphant believer. And secondly, to make certain that you are in the triumphal procession of congregations of believers around the world who are in the procession for Christ. Now where in the world did the Apostle Paul come up with this idea about having a triumphal procession? Well, of course, the Holy Spirit gave it to him. And how does the Holy Spirit work many times? Many times, God's Spirit, as I believe He did in the Apostle Paul's life this time, caused Paul to look out in the world he lived in and see something that would encourage people who were believers to to be lifted up and to become stronger in their faith. So here's what Paul did. He looked out into the Roman world, the richest nation in the world. The the nation with the greatest military might in all the world. The most pagan of all the nations. The most superstitious of all the nations. The richest of all the nations. And if they were to tell the story, the most wise and smart of all the nations. So Paul, when he looked at their military might, we have any military men here? We have a few. He looked at the military picture and he remembered seeing processions called triumphal processions. Here's how it worked. When Rome, now this is history, don't don't go to sleep on me, okay? Just stay with me. This is so critical. The triumphal procession of the Roman general coming back into Rome 
after winning a great victory was a tremendous parade, like at the Super Bowl parade, so to speak. And when they came marching in, the Roman general had won a great victory. He had captured thousands of people. He had taken all the money from the treasury. He had taken great gifts and booty from the land. He had in that procession, in that triumphal procession, all the glory of a Roman general, a conqueror. He had won the battle in the name of his nation. And in addition to all the wealth and booty that was all around him, marching behind him were the captured generals, the captured soldiers that were now enslaved. And behind them were the, uh, his own soldiers who had won the battle, many of them scarred, many of them veterans, some of them young soldiers. They were armed now. They were in their dress uniform. They were marching. They looked fantastic. They were strong, powerful, impressive. And they were marching into the city to the thousands of people cheering. And with the general that day with his family. And with the general were the senators of Rome and the leaders of Rome. The colors were magnificent. The color of purple for royalty. The color of red for military might. The color of gold for for military strength through economics. It was all there. The beautiful horses. The clanking of the armor. The sound of the crowd. The visual picture. The optic of this great general standing astride his chariot with his arms raised in his purple robes. What a picture. And they marched through Rome to the cheers of the crowd. Here's what Christ saw. Here's how Paul saw Christ. He took that picture knowing that Rome was a decadent, termite-filled nation. And it would fall because it was temporal. But he saw Christ leading his triumphal procession of triumphant believers through all times, throughout the world. Christ was saying, this is my world. And Christ is leading His believers in all parts of the world, in every language of the world, in every culture of the world. This very minute, this procession is happening. In every part of the world. And it happens not only on Sunday, but it happens on Monday through Saturday as well. The procession of billions of Christians are marching, is marching through time, place, and space in the world we live in. This is the picture that Paul was presenting of the church, of believers throughout the world, to be triumphant and to be a great procession of believers who followed him. Now, I... Don't need to ask this question, but I will. It's so obviously answerable. Is this the way we feel? Not necessarily. We don't always feel this, do we? But we know it's real. You don't have to feel it to know it's real. It is real. This is what we're doing. This is who we are. This is why we exist. And there are plenty of times that we do feel the victory. 
But whether or not we are feeling the victory, we are victorious, we are triumphant, and we are marching through our world today. Now, before you can do that, you've got to have the right start. Because without the right start, you will not be making any progress. Has this ever happened to you? I went out the other morning to my car, jumped in, put the key in the ignition, turned it, and nothing happened. You ever had that happen? Nothing happened. Well, I thought it's a dead battery. I investigated. No, not a dead battery. Maybe it was a fuse. I replaced one. Wasn't the fuse. What was it? The starter. That's right. I had all that power in my engine sitting right there under the hood where it usually rests. And it couldn't go. I couldn't go. It couldn't go. We couldn't go because it wouldn't start. And the only way you can start the triumphant life is to start with Christ. When you start with Him as your Savior and your Lord and you follow Him every day, you'll start every day. In our group today with our teens, we're talking about getting up every morning and saying, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And often I say in my heart and my spirit, Lord, there's nothing that's coming at me today from the north or the south or the east or the west that you and I can't handle together. Amen. That's how I try to start. But you don't start without Christ. Many of you will appreciate this true story I'm about to share with you. I brought some of the facts with me. It's about a great preacher of the past called Charles Spurgeon. Many of you may know of him. How many of you know that name, Charles Spurgeon? He lived in England during the middle of the 1800s. His preaching was very powerful. He was also a man who suffered depression for some reason. He suffered gout. He had physical problems. He also had to do great battle against the liberal surrounding in which he lived. And yet at the same time, his messages were so important to society that the London newspapers produced and published every message he preached. And he had a tremendous impact in his world. He was proceeding in the triumphant procession in his world at that time. But it almost didn't happen. Though his father was a preacher and his grandfather was a preacher, he couldn't get saved. He couldn't get saved. He was a teenager. This really bothered him to no end because he read theology even as a teenage boy in his father's upstairs room where all the books were. He read about God and Christ and the Holy Spirit and the gospel but he couldn't get saved. It was bothering him to no end why he couldn't have an experience of salvation. So he ended up on his, in his 15th year still very unsatisfied and unhappy. He couldn't get started. He couldn't get started. So I'm going to read to you what happened. I'm going to read this because it's so good. Now, I always almost halfway apologize for reading anything because 
It's just hard sometimes to comprehend when a person is just reading. But listen carefully, okay? I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair until now, had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm. One Sunday morning, while I was going to a certain place of worship, when I could go no further, I turned down a side street and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. By the way, there are churches that are called primitive Baptist uh, churches and Methodists that are called primitive Methodist chapels. In that chapel, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. I'd heard of the primitive Methodists, how they sang so loudly that they gave people headaches. (laughs) But that did not matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved. And if they could tell me that, I did not care how much that made my head ache. The minister did not come down that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or a tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. Now, it is well that preachers should be instructed, but this man was really stupid. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had so little to say. The text was, quote, Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. The preacher began like this, quote, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now look and don't take a deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. I, he said in his broad Essex dialect, many of ye are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, look to Him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Some, you say, we must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that text right now. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. That's what the man said at first. Now Charles Spurgeon is speaking again. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me, I'm sweating great drops of blood. Now this is the preacher preaching again. The preacher says, look unto me, I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I'm buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I'm sitting at the Father's right hand, O poor sinner. Look unto me, look unto me. Spurgeon continues, when he had gone about that length and managed to spin out about 10 minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. In other words, that's all he knew to say. 
Then, however, he looked at me under the gallery. By the way, how many people did I say were, about, were there approximately? Yeah. And I dare say, with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. Just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew all my heart, he said, Young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to have remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow. Struck right home. He continued, and you always will be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands... He shouted as only a primitive Methodist could do. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but to look and live. Spurgeon says, at once I saw my way of salvation. I know not what else he said. I did not take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought. Like as when the brazen serpent was lifted up, the people only looked and were healed. So it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes out. There and then the cloud was gone, the darkness rolled away, and at that moment I saw the sun, and I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them, of the precious blood of Christ, and the simple faith which looks alone to Him. Oh, that somebody had told me this before. Trust Christ and you shall be saved. Yes, it was no doubt all wisely ordered by God. And now I can say, I am saved. That's where you start. If you can't start by saying, I'm saved by Christ, you won't go anywhere. Without starting with Jesus, you cannot have a triumphant spirit in this world. And without looking to Jesus and trusting Jesus and believing Jesus, you cannot make any progress in the Christian life. All the promises will pass you by. All the powers will go around you. All the hope will skirt you until you look to Christ and take Him and believe Him and received him, receive him. So you start with Christ, and that's everything to become a triumphant spirit. So according to this passage, in this triumphal procession, what does a triumphant believer look like? And how does he triumph? Well, a triumphant believer triumphs in life and death and in eternity. We're winners all the way. With Christ, because you or the person who believes proceeds on with Christ. You keep on going. You keep on keeping on. You keep on believing. You keep on praying. You keep on trusting. You keep on exerting holy sweat in service to God. You keep working through your tribulations and trials and troubles. And you keep celebrating your triumphs. You keep hearing from God, getting close to other believers, opening up the Word, being filled with the Holy Spirit every single day, and committing your life to Him. 
no matter what. This is how you live a triumphant life. So what are some of the characteristics of a triumphant Christian? Where they're told here in the scripture. Notice what he says. First of all, he says, be thankful, but thanks be to God who also leads us in triumphant procession. So the first two characteristics of being a triumphant Christian is to be thankful and to be leadable. Are you thankful? Every single day, give thanks for something. Even if you have troubles, don't thank God for the troubles. Thank God that God is God in your troubles. And be thankful that God is able to give you power in your life. Be thankful, he says, to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. God is always leading. Have you ever wondered why some people don't follow the Lord's leadership? It's simply this. Before God can lead you, you have to let Him lead you before you can be led. You cannot be led by God if you're not willing to let God lead you. What was it that Jesus prayed, Lord, lead us not into temptation? It literally means in the Greek language, which I've looked at very carefully because it's always been a mystifying passage to me. It literally means, let us not be led into temptation. What that means is, if we say, God, I'm going to allow you by my faith and because I trust you and believe you, not to go into temptation because I know you won't lead me into it. God can't be tempted with sin, nor does he tempt anybody with sin. If we let him lead us another way, we will not be led into temptation. If we will not let God lead us, we will be led by the world and by ourselves and by Satan and by temptations into trouble. So the first sign of a triumphant Christian is that that man or that woman is someone who is both thankful and leadable in their life. Are you that person? Are you leadable? Can you be led? Can you be taught? That's the secret of transformation. Then he goes on to say that the next two characteristics of a triumphant Christian are that they are usable and knowledgeable. He goes on to say, and through us, and I'm reading from the scripture again, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him. We spread it. We're useful. How is a Christian useful to God? One way a believer is useful to God. We're useful because we spread God's love. We're useful because we spread God's wisdom. We're useful because we spread God's will to others. That's how we're useful. And that usefulness comes through knowledge. God wants you to be smart and have that knowledge of Christ. One thing a person has to do to be smart in God, you have to unlearn all the stuff you've learned. When I became a Christian at 21, 22 years of age, my first and biggest and toughest job was unlearning all the stuff I had learned for 22 years. All the stuff I had learned about who I am and what I'm here for and what I'm supposed to get and how I'm supposed to have this and do this and be this, the stuff that I got in my head 
that was swirling around all the time, the false ideas, the out-and-out lies about life. I had to unlearn them, and it was not easy. It was not easy to become a Christian as an adult. Many times I say to people who became Christians when they were children, and I've had this said to me before, Pastor, I don't have any amazing testimony of how I went down into the pit of drugs or immorality or crime, just a, hor- a horrid, sorry person, ugly, nasty, and mean. I don't have that testimony. And I said, well, you have a better one. What? Yeah, you've got a better one. Your testimony is that you didn't have to suffer. You didn't bring suffering and pain into other people's lives. You didn't get stupid. You didn't cross the line and walk with the devil hand in hand. You didn't mock or jeer at Christ and Christians. You didn't laugh at God's church. You followed Jesus. You learned of Jesus. You loved Him. You were obedient to Him. And as a result of that, your life was powerful, special. God uses both kinds of testimonies, does He not? He uses both kinds. But never downplay yourself if you've had that life from, with Christ from a child. Don't downplay it either if God saves you out of all of that sin that you were involved in. Praise God for both. Amen? God is a God of salvation. God is a God of hope and love and power and strength and conversion. God converts those who will follow Him and have knowledge of who He is. And He goes on to say in this passage, when you are usable and knowledgeable through the Word, you present, you have a a fragrance, an aroma to God. It's interesting, isn't it? Did you read this carefully? He says, through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of God. Of him, for we are to God the aroma of Christ. Isn't that kind of strange that we are being smelled by God? Did you get what I said? God is smelling us. (laughs) And when he sees a triumphant Christian, he's smelling Christ. It's just a way of saying, Hey, you smell good. Now, my dad years ago, was an old spice man. You could smell him for miles. He loved that old spice. I loved it too. I loved to be around my dad when he put on two quarts of that stuff every morning. Walked through the house. He'd just wafting all through the house. If you were asleep, he'd wake you up. And my mother's favorite smell, those beautiful flowers that she loved so much, honeysuckle. And I can almost smell them now. So sweet. They were beautiful. She had honeysuckles on the trellis of our fence when you walked underneath it. And when they were in season, man, they were just, just smelled so good. So good. And God is saying to us to be a victorious Christian when you have Christ in your life, you give off an aroma that's pleasing to God. It's pleasing to God. God loves to smell you. You know, there used to be an old joke that we used to make when you were a teenager, when you're trying to put somebody down. Hey, how you doing? I smell you. (laughs) When God smells you when you're a Christian, it smells good. 
Smells good. And that's part of being a triumphant Christian and you are living for him. Now here comes a very unusual part once again. So we're thankful and leadable. We're usable and knowledgeable according to the Bible. But we're also evangelical and unifiable. Notice what else he says here. Verse 15, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are being perished, who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, that's to the people who are perishing, and to the other the fragrance of life. In other words, it's an interesting thing. When you're a Christian and you smell like Christ, you have the smell and victory aroma on you because of Christ. You smell good to God. When you're in the world and you're out there being evangelical, an evangelical is one who takes the gospel seriously, who's evangelistic in what they say, do, feel, and think, and the way they live. Evangelist is a person who brings the good news. That's what the word uh, evangelical means. Good news is good news centered. And we are unified together. Notice how many times it uses the word us. Go back up to verse 14. He always leads who? Us. Look at the next part. And in this procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Verse 15, for we are to God. See how this is? It's not just me, it's we. It's us. It's not just the individual. It's all of us in God's family. It's all in the congregation. It's all in the church. Evangelical. But what's this talk about those who are perishing, it's the smell of death. As opposed to those who are being saved, it's a pleasant aroma. Let's go back to that procession. Remember that military procession I was describing earlier? And I told you that behind the general were those who were captured. Remember that? Remember I told you that? Well, when they were there, and they saw all the flowers and saw all the colors and smelled all the smells. It smelled like death to them. Didn't it? They were captured. They were going to prisons. Smell of death. But to the victors, to, in Rome, it was a smell of victory. And here's an interesting thing, that Jesus Himself used this idea in a very interesting way about perishing people. When you and I talk about Christ, some people will become believers and others will remain unbelievers. Because the message we give, the testimony we share, to some is a message of life and to others it's a message of death because they refuse it. They turn their back on it. They resist God. And to them, it's death. Now just in case you might not be convinced of that direct kind of statement, turn to John chapter 3. And notice what Jesus himself said about those who believe and those who perish. You probably don't even need to take your Bible and turn there for John 3.16, but there's something else that's there too in this passage. I'll give you a moment to get there. John 3, look at verse 16, the one you know. Of course, here's what it says. For God did what? He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not do what? Perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You've just read the number one reason most people don't come to Christ. Exposure of their real self. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So the Bible tells us that there are people who are perishing. Let's clarify this to bring home the urgency of being an evangelistic Christian. The word perish does not mean to cause no longer to exist. The word perish here is pictured in my own thinking. This is my thinking to simplify theology. It literally means to waste away, perish. It doesn't mean to die, to be exterminated. To perish does not mean to be exterminated. In my own explanation, now stay with me. This is just Brandon talking here about how I help myself to understand things. It just simply means that a person who is perishing, who will not turn to Christ, is a banana. He starts off ripe. She starts off bright yellow. Then time takes its course. What happens to the bananas on your shelf? They start getting signs, don't they? Little black spots, little streaks of dark. You don't eat them. You leave them there some more. You come back the next day. Has the perishing stopped? That's why it's called a perishable food. It perishes. It just kind of rots away. This is what God says. Those who don't believe, they're not driven into extinction. They're not destroyed. They perish. While on earth, their life gets farther and farther away from God, a little more rotten, a little more rotten, a little more and a little more and a little more. They lose more battles They get farther away from God. Their mind gets darker. Their morality changes. And even if they're healthy, and even if they they have money in the bank, and even if they take trips and travel, even if they wear the finest clothes and drink the finest wine, they're still perishing inside. Inside. Isn't that how I began my message? What you say is how people hear you. How you dress is how people perceive you. But what is really a triumphant spirit? What's inside you? And how do you start that with Christ? And how do you continue that? By being usable, by being knowledgeable, by being evangelical, by being unifiable, and being in the triumphal procession. So let's conclude by looking at the end of the triumphal procession. Turn over to Romans, uh, Revelation 5. Revelation chapter 5. Here's where the procession is going to end. And this is the conclusion of my message. This is how it's going to end. Revelation chapter 5. The procession is marching, it's moving. And in Revelation 5, 
you hear this amazing story. John the Apostle speaking, Revelation 5.1, Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. This is John's vision. With writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? This is to reveal the future, by the way. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. John then says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is that? Jesus. The root of David, who is that? Jesus. Has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. This is how it ends. With Jesus leading the processional, He will unveil the future. He will make all things His. He will be everything of everything at all times for all people who have trusted Him. And ladies and gentlemen, stay triumphant. Stay in the procession. Keep on going. Don't quit. Keep your evangelical spirit, evangelical spirit and life alive for Christ. Be useful. Be knowledgeable. And by all means, be saved. Let's pray for a moment, may we? Are you saved? That's where you've got to start. If you're looking to anything or anybody else, it's futile. Here's a prayer of salvation, very much like the one I prayed way back in 1966 that's still a live prayer today. It's a prayer of belief, a sinner's prayer, a prayer of trust. I'm going to pray it out loud. You might be that one person in this room who needs to look to Jesus. Here's my prayer for you. I invite you to pray it in your heart. I'll pray it aloud. You pray it to God. Dear Father, I'm looking to Jesus. I want to start today. I want to really be saved. I look to the cross and Christ on it and Christ off of it and Christ in heaven and Christ returning. Lord, save me through Christ's death for me. Lord, I accept the Holy Spirit to indwell me for eternity. Lord, I plead with you to give me power to live the Christian life and get in the procession and walk in the procession of Christians around the world. And I pray this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And may God bless the teaching of his word this morning. Put your Bible aside, would you?